Good morning, Travis Avenue. I'm so excited to be with you. If you've got a Bible, I wanna invite you to open it up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter nine, where we're looking at verses 35 through 38 this morning. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. I'm both excited and honored uh, to be with you and to dive into this text this morning. I just must forewarn you, uh, the 9 a.m. was electric. And I'm telling you that there was something in that room where they were like excited and they let me hear about it and I fed off of it and it just got good. And I'm just gonna leave that there for you. But Matthew chapter nine, verse 35 through 38, the word of the Lord says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, we're here in this room, we're here in this place to do one thing, and that's to declare that you are worthy of every ounce of our affection to declare that you're worthy of all of our attention, of all of our adoration. And Father, we're asking that as we come before your word of truth, that God, you would do what only you can do, and that we would leave this place, having been conformed to that of the image of Jesus, so that our watching world on outside of these walls could get a clear picture, just a clear glimpse of your goodness, your grace, and your mercy to us. Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, can we hear from you so that we can be changed by you and so that we can be sent out with you? In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite childhood memories growing up in East Texas at a, at a very early age, uh, me and one of my cousins uh, would get together and inevitably within minutes of playing together, uh, we would have hundreds of Hot Wheels cars just spread all out, all across, all over uh, the house. And as far as our imaginations would take us, we would create cities and farmhouses because he's Texas and we had racetracks and we had all of these things uh, in our minds that we would conjure up. And we had every car that you could possibly imagine. And somewhere along the way, you outgrow Hot Wheels, and um, I won't tell you the number, because maybe I'm not the proudest of that, but what the reality is, you outgrow this, and my cousin being the older one, and he, he introduced me to the next biggest thing, model cars. I remember he would come over to the house with a box, and, and, and on that box was like a perfect picture of a model car, and you, you unbox that box, and, and there's instructions that just had picture after picture that just explains the necessary steps of what it means to piece this car together. In our text this morning, Jesus gives us a model that's worth imitating, a perfect picture uh, throughout his earthly ministry of what it means for us to walk step by step with him as he builds his kingdom. He does this in verses 35 through 38 by displaying to us two key things that are worth you and I mirroring in our lives, and that is his motive for the mission, and that is the method in which it's to be accomplished. And for proof of this, I want you to dive in with me in verse 35, where Jesus is, Matthew is just noting a summary of Jesus' earthly Galilean ministry, and Jesus went throughout all the cities 
in villages. And he's teaching, and he's teaching in their synagogues and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he's healing every disease and every affliction. At this point in time of Jesus' earthly ministry, he has already called his first disciples, Peter and Andrew. He's already preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's already been out on a boat ride with his disciples in which a storm came up and they're panicking and they're freaking out. And all of a sudden, Jesus is found on the bottom of the boat sleeping and they wake him up like, hey, could you wake up and could you fix this? And all of a sudden, they're in awe of the fact that his power has the ability to even calm the winds and the waves. The crowds have seen and heard how he can restore the sight of the blind. At this point in Jesus's ministry, he was front page news everywhere he went. The crowds got bigger and bigger for that of two reasons, for that of his teaching and that of his healing. And in this moment, if we were to just take, to take the spiritual pulse of Jesus's audience, it would point out a couple of things. A, a portion of the crowds, they seemingly love Jesus. Or perhaps it's more that they're just attracted to that of his notoriety and his fame. But this intrigue with Jesus, these massive crowds, it's paralleled by an intensified, searing neglect of Jesus's authority. And we see this like, like, like hey, Jesus, cool, you wanna heal people, great. But then there's this crowd, their temperament begins to rise up and boil over. It's pointed out in chapter nine, verse 34, where it's like Jesus has just healed somebody and the Pharisees are like, yeah, but he's doing that like out of the prince of demons. Like, they're attributing his power to that of the work of Satan. And many love the idea of healing, but at the same time in Jesus, as is, is he's walking throughout his earthly ministry, the tension begins to rise up and slowly we just begin to see the cross of Christ come into view. Yet nonetheless, Jesus in verse 35, he teaches us something that's so critical, and that is that his gospel meets physical and spiritual needs. And the way in which Jesus navigates the cities and, and moves about the crowds with this good news, this is our model for the mission. He practices a ministry of presence in the cities and in the villages. He's in the cities, you know, the places that you wanna be, you know, the places that have notoriety, like the Fort Worth, Texas. And then he even goes to the villages, the smaller places, and, or those with less notoriety, like Dallas. His proximity to those in need is constant. He puts himself near those in the synagogues. He places himself in those moments and those contextual places of, of gathering. His social calendar is consumed with people's specific needs. And no matter who makes up his audience, his gospel is sure to meet physical and spiritual needs. I wonder what would happen if you and I looked at our audience if we just take the spiritual pulse of our very own cultural moment, what do we see? As residents of Fort Worth, Texas, you and I make up the citizenship of the 13th largest city in the United States of America. And in a city this size, we're gonna see people with all kinds of different religious backgrounds, worldviews, and ideologies. Some of your neighbors love Jesus. Some of your neighbors are skeptics of Jesus. Some may just love the idea of Jesus. Some want nothing to do with Jesus. And this should absolutely move us. And if we were just to pause and say, look at how Jesus takes inventory of people as he goes to the places of notoriety and he goes to the smaller areas and there's just no one that he won't encounter with this good news. Whoever your audience is, Jesus and his gospel points us in the direction of looking to help meet their physical and spiritual 
uh, needs. One of my favorite things that we do in the life of Travis College each semester is we go through something called Gospel 101. Gospel 101 is some, some, some material that we walk through that covers and unpacks key doctrines of the gospel. At the end of each session in Gospel 101, the students that we walk through this with, they are uh, asked to go and, and put some survey questions out to people that maybe they don't know or maybe they do know. And I'm telling you, it's my favorite thing because we ask questions like, have you ever read the Bible? If so, what's the message of the Bible? Uh, do you believe in God? If so, can, how would you describe God? The responses are all over the map, much like they would be if we were to spread out amongst this city and ask your coworkers and ask your neighbors those questions. And so really the question for the church in light of these responses, in light of the spiritual pulse of our current cultural moment, what, the question is this, how do we respond? Better question, what's our motivation to embrace the mission amidst a pluralistic society? What's our motivation to embrace someone that has a varying worldview? What's our motive? What's the heart behind getting close to those that are far from God and helping them know Christ? What's the point? Because oftentimes you and I get in these rhythms of comfort and we get in these rhythms where we'll like see people in our peripheral, but when we look at Jesus and his gospel, he's seeing them in their hearts. And I read this text and I'm wrestling with this text and I'm asking Jesus, God, what does it mean to really interact with people? Not that on a surface level, but on a level in the way that which you see them and the way that you interact with them even when they're different than me. How do we leap into our conglomerate culture with the good news of Jesus? In verse 36, Jesus displays his motive and how he's leaping in. When, the, when, when he saw the crowds, he had, underline it, compassion. He had compassion. Jesus, when encountering people, he was moved by their need. He was struck with compassion. Why? Because he looks out amongst the crowds and he sees image bearers of God that are in desperate need of a good shepherd, loving father. When we look out across our city, Fort Worth, Texas, the affirmation 13th largest city in the state of Texas that spans over the course of 350 miles, which leads us to, uh, if the math is right, somewhere around 2,800 people per square mile right here that we get to rub shoulders and be neighbors with. That's a lot of image bearers. Some of you are like checking my math and you're gonna email me later on that, and that's fine. That's okay. Um, how do we neighbor them? How, what's our ongoing motive to love them? How do we interact with them? Do we interact with them? Do we, are we, is it just more comfortable just to like avoid? Is it just more easy to ignore? Like Jesus, our motive to be on mission is compassion. What is compassion? Biblical compassion consists of three vital components. Number one, biblical compassion begins with, with seeing the need, seeing the need. Our text points us to this. It says this in verse 36, that when Jesus saw the crowds, when he sees the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because Matthew notes that they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. This word harassed, it, it means to be troubled. It means to be beaten down. It means to be made weary. And Jesus looks out on our city, he looks out on our college campuses, he looks out on the crowds of your neighborhoods and he sees those that are far from him as having been spiritually beaten down, torn away from him, being a weary, troubled people. He doesn't just see them as projects who are in need of external 
moral reform. No, he sees them as image bearers who are in desperate need of an internal gospel transformation. Jesus, he sees the need. Yet secondly, there's no such thing as compassion without both seeing the need and secondly, feeling the need. Biblical compassion is feeling the need. The Greek word for compassion, it literally means to be moved with extreme sorrow. It, is, it means to be intensely troubled on another person's behalf. I mean, when's the last time that you flip on the news and you see the horrific acts that we even seem to encounter on a weekly basis of the things that plague our society and world and our culture. And, and, and I'm just telling you, when was the last time that it moved you, gripped you, like it moves and grips the heart of Christ? Scholars describe Jesus as having in this moment, as he's looking at the crowds, they describe him as having a literal gut-wrenching moment where his stomach turns upside down because Jesus sees their need and he internally struggles with these intense levels of pain. Jesus sees the news that plagues us with incomprehensible acts. He sees the marginalized. He sees the hurting and it grips him. It moves him. Living in the 21st century in this information age, there's just a concern that always seems to be cropping up in my mind where every day, every single day, you and I are flooded with hundreds of images and videos and, we're, we're, and that we're being informed of the horrific tragedies that occur worldwide. And here's the problem. We're so inundated, we become so inundated with these stories of need that at times I just fear that at times we're not even moved. It's as if we've become so expectant of, of evil to be so prevalent. And all of a sudden, over a process of, over a period of time, our compassion, it's like our compassion muscles just become atrophied and our hearts become callous to the many wrongs and injustices that surround us. But in response to this, what could be at times for us an unmoved state that we sometimes find ourselves in, I'm not suggesting that you and I begin to go and mute all of the news. Rather, I'm just gonna suggest what Jesus suggests and that we be a people that unmutes the good news amidst those that are make up our circle and our campus and our city because there is a news that's worth proclaiming. There is a news that's worth sharing. Even in the midst of your discomfort and fears, it's worth it. Do you, do you realize that this may sound so harsh and I don't mean it to be in the slightest, but do you realize that when we say things like our mission is to get close to those that are far from God and help them know Christ, do you, do you know that that statement, that slogan, it's only a statement, it's only a slogan unless unless you, unless you take that, this gospel to heart to the degree that you're like, that will not just be a slogan in my life because the degree that that statement is true is to the degree that you are willing to live this out. I mean, we can put words on mission, vision, values, all that we want, but until the moment continues to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. 
And I just believe this text speaks to it of what it looks like to look out on the city, to look out on the crowds, to look out on your neighbors and to unmute this gospel. Biblical compassion is seeing the need. Biblical compassion is feeling the need. Thirdly, biblical compassion is acting on the need. Church, we haven't fleshed out the fullness of compassion until we act. Because compassion is never compassion unless it's coupled with action. Jesus sees the crowds. He's moved by them, so he heals them. Jesus sees their separation from God, so he shares with them the gospel of the kingdom, and he saves them. Jesus sees the need, he's, he's moved by the need, and he acts on the need. And then he gathers this up, we don't just do it alone, he gathers this up in verse 37 and 38. He gathers his disciples and he says to them, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, the command, the imperative of the text, pray earnestly, pray earnestly earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. It's not mine, it's not yours, it's his. To send out laborers into his harvest. When was the last time that you got excited about someone hearing this gospel and you begin to see the Holy Spirit just navigate and move in their life and, and you're, it's like what you live for because you just can't wait to see the moment click when God decides in his sovereignty and his goodness to say, you're mine. We get to walk alongside people and make this gospel known and make this gospel shared and, and discuss this gospel and display this gospel and we do so through with a motive of compassion. That's our drive, that's our motive. We say the motive for the mission is compassion. Here we see Jesus' method for the mission is prayer and people. We see Jesus model his prayer life all throughout his earthly ministry and, and, and what that says to me is for us to miss out on the practice of prayer would be for us to miss out on the mission. I don't know about you, that stings me. Jesus, he, he sees the crowds through, through the lens of compassion and, and immediately huddles us up to pray. I'm convinced that to the degree that I skip out on praying to the Lord of the harvest, it's to that degree that I miss out on seeing and feeling and acting on the needs that surround me. I told you earlier that there was this thing in my earlier child, part of childhood, and as the worship team comes up and gets ready to lead us, that there was this, this story I told you about a model car. And what I, I left a few things out because probably to save face, but the reality is I'm about to be very transparent with you. In my journey of just creating and unboxing model cars, it was my cousin's car that always looked phenomenal, infant, like pristine, incredible. Like he had, his looked like just what the picture looked like on the box. Mine on the other hand, it would, have looked, it would have looked like it was if somebody drove that off the cliffs of the Grand Canyon and it caught fire. My cousin's model cars was exactly that. It was a model car. Mine, on the other hand, looked like, you know, it had like layers of my skin from the glue still plastered on the hood. Like the exhaust was coming out of the air vent. Like this was bad, okay? My cousin's model cars looked like something that you could literally, he would literally, this, isn't it crazy what you remember from your childhood? Like he would literally gift these things to his to like family members and they would like buy display cases for them and mine you couldn't even donate. They didn't even gonna take, like there's just really bad. And I would skip ahead and I would, I would miss out on so many parts and I would skip ahead and, and there would just be so many parts that are left over and I feel like Jesus is just waving this flag at us in this moment and he says, hey, therefore in light of all that we've seen, 
Hey, church, prayer is the model that can't be overlooked. Praying to the Lord of the harvest, this is, this is Jesus's method for shaping our hearts to desire to be a people that labors amongst this city and beyond. And that is, that is this, what does that mean to be a laborer? That is we verbally proclaim this good news of Jesus Christ to those that we are next to with a motive of compassion, with a method of, through the method of prayer, through the heart of love for people. And if you and I are being honest, we're like, yeah, man, I rub shoulders with a lot of people that are different than me. Jesus stepped out of perfect paradise to come be with people that were different than him. And he became one of us and he got close to us and he got close to you and he loved you and he saved you and he drew you near. And when Jesus draws you near, he sends you out. Some of us hear this and you hear this word labor and we start to panic. There's oftentimes an intense amount of trepidation that just wells up in our hearts amongst those of us that are just like, we don't know what to do. How do we do this? How do you be a laborer? What does it look like to be a laborer? How do you proclaim the gospel? How do you get close to those that are far from God? And I'll just say this, there's nothing more real to you than that of your personal story of how you have been saved by Jesus Christ, how he has saved you, how he's leading you and how he is changing you. I can assure you, your watching world is in need of a friend who sees their need, feels their need and acts on their need by pointing them to the Jesus of this gospel. So who are you praying for? What gospel hope can you give someone this week? Father, it's in this very moment that we're gonna sing, we're gonna worship you through song. And God, it's just our time that we wanna respond before you. And I'm asking, Lord God, that you would move so mightily and in depth of our hearts and our minds that we literally, God, we would walk out of this place having been changed, having been meeting with you through that of your word of truth. God, we don't wanna be the same. God, we don't want to sit idle. We don't want to be still. God, we want to move. We want to be step by step with you and your model for the mission. God, we're asking you to send out more and more laborers into the harvest of this city. We're asking, Lord, for you to help us see people through your eyes so that we can meet them with your gospel. Lord, we want to seek your will. We want to pray your will so that, God, you would lead us out to take part of your 